What's up, party people? Thanks for downloading our podcast. You can check out more of our episodes at thisamericanhorrorstory.com or on iTunes. Hello, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show, American Horror Story. I'm your host, Tyler Moss, here with... Hey, what's up? I'm Chris said the co-host. What up? <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Um, kind of before we dive into this episode, we just want to go ahead and thank everybody for the great feedback we've been getting. You know, all the comments and questions that have been coming in to... Um, this American Horror Story at gmail.com. That's our email address. You can always call an email or uh, send us an email with a comment or a question. But we've really appreciated some of the feedback. We want to give a – we had a specific request for a shout-out by Dahana. Um, she says she is forever our fan and she appreciates our insights. So, you know, Aww. we um, – that means a lot to us. We're glad that uh, this show that we just started uh, – you know, we were just two guys who wanted to – friends that want to talk about a show. And we're glad that we have listeners. So – Thanks for tuning in. Um, and a couple things we wanted to address is some good points that were brought up in, in other emails and Facebook comments. Um, we had a good point by a uh, Facebook commenter that um, in our last episode we were talking about how it was strange that Dr. Threadson was going to be letting Kit, kind of re- making this deal to release Kit back into the wild. And we didn't understand what was going on there. Um, but that was our mistake, and we were corrected by, about that. Kit is actually, the deal was he was just going to keep Kit from the electric chair, keep him in Briarcliff. So that was um, – thank you for the clarification on, on that one. Um, a couple other really good comments we had. We had a comment uh, regarding the Lizzie Borden um, comparison we drew last week with you know Grace having kind of this background similar to the historical figure Lizzie Borden who murdered her family. Um, this email reads, in reference to the Lizzie Borden parallels, I wanted to tell you that I was thinking the same thing throughout Grace's little flashback. Also thought you might find it interesting that one of the allegations during the actual Lizzie Borden case was molestation by her father. Nothing much came of it, though. So that takes the parallel even further. And the woman murdered in that house was her stepmother. It had to have been inspired by that. So, I mean, there's just another parallel to Lizzie Borden because Grace brings up being, you know, molested by her father. And it's kind of what made her go crazy in the first place. Right, right. Nothing in that little uh, historical story about aliens, though, but I'm sure we'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we will, too. But, I mean, it's just crazy how we see these historical parallels popping up. It's clearly a a thing that, you know, Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk are having a lot of fun with between Anne Frank, Lizzie Borden, the Black Dahlia in in season one. um, Right. And all that kind of stuff. So great insight. Um we got another email that had a really interesting point about kind of the role of God in the show so far. Um, this is an important one that both of us took a step back and thought, oh, yeah, this guy's right. We haven't really seen this side yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, Paul writes, obviously evil is the bedrock of American horror story and the physical presence of Satan and his manipulative prowess in this season has become a rather critical plot point. I find it interesting that God has no role this far into the season. During the exorcism, prayers were meaningless and even mocked by Satan. The Mexican was forced to kneel and pray just before the scissors were plunged gruesomely into her jugular. The notion that God may not intervene, or even more disturbing that there is no God to intervene, is creating a morbid hopelessness that I'm finding particularly vexing this year. To be clear, I'm not that religious, but playing by the writer's rules means to acknowledge that in the world of AHS, a Satan and God do indubitably exist. 
Great point, Satan's Paul. in the hizzy, so where is God? His absence doesn't even seem to be noticed. So the presence of God, yes, definitely, clearly a recurring theme here. Or the, it, it, you know, in Paul's point, the absence of God. Considering that this is a religious institution and there's so many religious overtones, we have a big speech regarding God from Sister Jude in this episode. We'll dive into this more later. But very insightful. We appreciate that comment. And like I said, we appreciate that other email that was um, from Lane in Grand Rapids. You guys are so smart. And finally, I want to acknowledge a really great uh, theory by Christopher. He had sent this in right before the episode aired. Um, basically, he had this theory that Bloody Face, he said, It struck me that the character accused of being Bloody Face is named Kit Walker. He shares a name with Lee Falks, the, or with a character uh, in the book The Phantom by Lee Falk. The Phantom is the ghost who walks. In Falk's book, the responsibility of the Phantom is passed from his father to son throughout the ages. Well, it may be too early to start coming up with wild theories. Could it possibly be that the killer is really Kit's as-of-yet-unseen father? Um, so I thought this was a really interesting theory. Really good deep reading there. Um, but we know who the real bloody face is. But who's to say it's not some sort of strange passing-down theory that is borrowed from this sort of book? So, I mean, we'll see if that ends up coming to greet us later on. But True, this isn't the last uh, mystery about bloody face, I'm sure. I have no doubt. But with that, uh, let's let's start diving into this episode. Well, first, what but, are you drinking? Um, I was about to say the same thing. I am, <laughs> I am back to bourbon and cider. Uh, I was able to get that and get things back in the groove. Um, we will acknowledge that we did record an episode last night, and we're re-recording because Whoops. we had a tech failure about five minutes before we were done. And so I think that the problem was I did not have my bourbon and cider on here. It was <laughs> screwing me up. So I'm back with that. What do you have tonight? It could be. Um, I have a Zinfandel from California that, I, uh, that I'm drinking tonight. That sounds great. Cheers. Cheers to you. Cheers to the show. Cheers to American Horror Story getting officially getting season three. Yes. So maybe we will see the Haunted Hotel that I am hoping is going to show I up. want that so badly, too. I think that's brilliant. And now let us open on I Am Frank. Sorry, I Am <laughs> Frank. <laughs> uh, put that bourbon insider down, my friend. Just kidding. I Am Anne Frank Part 2. So... We open with Sister Jude on a rainy night. She is in normal street clothes. We're kind of wondering here whether it's the you know time period of the show or whether this is her past when she's still a dancer or, sorry, singer. Um, kind of what's going on here. Well, we see her knock on a door. She has someone escort her inside. Um, basically, what we learn is this guy is the fixer that the uh, mother nun mentioned in the past episode. This mother is Claudia. The, you even have the name right on. Um <laughs> This guy is a Nazi hunter. He shows Sister Jude the, uh, you know, serial number tattooed into his arm. Um, also, interesting fact, played by Mark Margolis, who it was uh, Don Tio Salamanca in Breaking Bad. As you might remember, he was confined to a wheelchair for a lot of that show. Yeah, it was a pretty uh, evil, Tuchel's evil uncle, dude. right? That was Tuchel's uncle. So, uh, interesting role here. Well, I'm sure he'll get a bigger role. I mean, he was not seen that much in this episode, but clearly he's going to have a role coming up. Right. Um but basically, Jude is there to rat on Arden um, to this Nazi hunter. She has these, you know, she has an instinct that he's, just, you know, going to do something. Um, so basically, the fixer talks about this operation that happened after the World World War II, in which all these Nazi scientists were given fake biographies and sent all over the world to kind of be hidden. And so that that's their theory is that Arden is one of these guys. And he says that you will know that Arden is SS if he has a tattoo 
of his blood type on his well, on his arms, like his bicep or something, or like up high, right? Right. And so they're saying that um that he he asks Judah if she's seen that, and of course she says, "Well, no, I haven't seen him shirtless." But you got to think that that's going to be <laughs> right. You got to think that coming up, that's going to be how Jude officially finds out that Arden is right. We're and we as the audience, like, we're we're going to start looking too. Right, although we kind of have proof by the end of this episode. True. Um, so from there we see, we kind of jump back to the scene that ended last week's episode. We have uh, Anne Frank holding Arden hostage in his lab with a pistol with the terribly gross Rasper uh, Shelly in the closet. Half Rasper. Half Rasper. Half Rasper. At this point she can still speak. Um, when Eunice walks in, and Anne Frank is kind of freaking out and trying to tell Eunice that what a monster Arden is and everything like that. Well, all of a sudden, we see this bodyguard come in through the back and put a gun up to Anne Frank. So At- Anne Frank's gig is right. up. After she, after Anne Frank let Eunice run away, where uh, Arden was like, Eunice, go. And Anne Frank just let her go. She just lets her go. And she turns to find that the wrath... That- the Rasper's gone. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what happened to Shelly either at this point. Right. Um, but basically, Anne Frank is screwed now. So we go through our credit, se- credit sequence and jump back to Anne and Jude. Anne is on a, a uh, gurney with a straitjacket on. Um, and Jude is coming in to kind of interview her. Um, Anne is saying, you know, you got to believe me. He's an SS officer, all this stuff. You need to go look at his lab. I saw this terrible creature. And Jude kind of says, you know, I've been in there studying his lab. I couldn't find anything particularly uh, of interest. Um, and so, the, you know, Anne's point to this, you know, so far, as far as Jude knows, this is just a creature in Anne's mind. Or Although, obviously, she's clearly suspecting Arden of stuff going on. Then we have um, Eunice show up, and she says that a, a man has come to claim his wife. Well, as we soon come to find out, this man claims to be the wife or the husband of Anne Frank. Um, he says that he that Anne started getting this way after having a baby. That her name is not really Anne Frank. She's not really Anne Frank. That she's crazy, basically. That she had a child and started suffering from postpartum depression because this baby wouldn't stop crying. At one point, they went to the city and saw this play about the Holocaust or something like that. And it just Anne became or obsessed. Anne, whatever her real name is, Charlotte. became obsessed with Charlotte. That's her real name. Becomes obsessed with World War Two and the Holocaust and and Frank and all this stuff. Um, she starts borrowing, you know, uh, newspaper clippings from libraries and tacking up these intricate maps of Nazis all over the wall. She basically is just going crazy. And I want to comment at the t- also about how this part is shot with the camera because. It is interesting. They kind of give it this grainy 1960s, 1950 TV feel. Right. I felt like it was like a um, Super 8 shooting it or something like that. But it definitely gave I, – I got an old school uh, soap opera vibe. Exactly. You kind of feel like you're looking through Technicolor. And it's interesting because we've kind of seen this too also with the flashbacks of the Holocaust scene. Whenever they film a flashback in American Horror Story, they're kind of doing the flashback in – the um, filming mode of that time period, and it really kind of lends it that that period that period piece feel. You right. know what I mean? It really puts you in it. It fits that era, absolutely. And so that was very just very pretty though, the way it. it was shot. 
the, I mean, the colors and everything, really interesting. But so basically, um, we find out that Anne, this guy at least is claiming that Anne is just crazy. Mm-hmm. Threadson, of course, <clears throat> is listening in on this conversation and immediately diagnoses Anne Frank or Charlotte with postpartum psychosis. Threadson says the wife that Charlotte is dangerous and shouldn't be sent back home. But Jude consents and the man takes his wife back home. So we know something's going to be up. Otherwise, Threadson's threat here, or, you know, warning is going to go un- unheeded. So you know that's kind of a foreshadowing that something's going to go on there. So um, Jude walks and Frank slash Charlotte down the stairs and says that she's, you know, letting her free. And you could see basically... that Jude was distressed during this, though. Like, I, uh, this is when I started feeling bad for her because she wants so badly to believe uh, Anne Frank is Anne Frank. Uh, because yeah. she has, she, I mean, she found a patient that she, when, when the patient, whatever the patient's motivations are, agrees with something she believes in. In this example, it would be that Threadson's, you know, evil and a Nazi doctor. She she jumps on board with this patient and tends to believe. We didn't see this with um, uh, uh, Jude and Lana at all. So this is it's interesting, and or, it makes her very sympathetic. We didn't see it with Kit either because she didn't she right. didn't seem to believe him either. This is the first time she's believing a patient's story, and, it, and you're right. I think it's probably because she wants to believe that Arden's bad because she has a bad feeling right. about Arden. It lines up with her her uh, uh, feelings. Exactly. And so she walks Anne slash Charlotte down the stairs and it, it basically they meet the husband. Um, and Frank pretends not to know this husband until he shows her a picture. It's the two of them and their baby. And it's all of a sudden as if she's just hit with this wave of memories. But it's like and... memories that you don't remember if they're yours or not. It's it was so bizarre. Like, it's you know, just, you, you think like, oh, gosh, this sucks. Does this girl really not believe or does this girl really have this past lifestyle? Because if it's true, then that whole last episode just makes me feel like it was a waste of time almost. Because I, I believe her just... If Jude believes her, I believe her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, But this like these memories seem to kind of break her. Because she, obviously she, she's no longer trusting herself because she thinks she might be crazy. Exactly. And Threadson says, you know, letting her go is a mistake as she leaves the asylum. Um, but I, I just want to comment that at this point I was not sure whether or not and Frank was being set up or whether or not she was really crazy. And I think that's something that we both agree we weren't really sure about even by the end of this episode, but we'll talk about that more as we go on. But it's kind of playing with your mind a little bit, you know? Totally. The husband seems a little bit suspicious. I I mean, he comes across as a nice guy that, you know, who knows? We we have never seen him before. We have no idea. Exactly. Um, So we kind of transition here as um, Threadson says to Jude that he does not approve of the sterilization soon to be planned for Kit and Grace. So, switch scenes. Yikes. Kit and Grace in in the cells. Um, they're kind of they share a wall here. They kind of have this. Spe- you know, Kit's talking about how he had always planned on having kids with Alma. They're kind of thinking about the the prospect basically of being sterilized. Um, for as you may remember, they had sex on the bedroom table last episode. Gross. Um. <clears throat> They kind of have this interesting speech where it's like they're talking through the wall to each other, but in their minds they're like clasping hands, and it's kind of cut that way too. So the, this is something that I thought was very interesting throughout the episode, and I think – I mean we're going to come back to this over and over again. The cinematography and the music together in this episode were fantastic. Beautiful. They were just – they were really able to convey feelings and convey a lot just with the way it was shot and the way the music made you feel. Um, and so you kind of really got the how close these characters have become, and – 
what we think is a pretty short period of time. We don't really know how much time has passed since Skit's been in the in the asylum. That's right. We, I mean, we kind of tried to talk about this in the uh, previous <laughs> failed attempt at this podcast. But what time? How long? How much time do you think has passed? So I'm, I was thinking like three or four months. And how much time did you think? I thought it was probably like three or four weeks. <laughs> and see, and that just goes knows? to show out. Just because exactly I've that... always assumed it's been a long time in shows, and then it's actually only been a few days. And I think that just goes to show how the you know the show is kind of not really conveyed at all time in any sort of way, and so it's really hard to say. I mean, I think either of us could be right, and it could who knows it could be longer than that even. True. I mean, maybe it's been six or eight months, so we'll see if that's even something that's ever revealed. But it kind of makes you wonder how quickly these people are getting, you know, how quickly these relationships are developing and that kind of thing. But um, as Kitten in in uh, Grace are, are kind of finishing talking, Sister Eunice shows up and um, comes to talk to Kit and says that Sister Jude changed her mind about sterilizing him, that he's going to be let out. Um, and it's basically due to him, you know, embracing God, as we saw last week in that very impassioned speech between him and Sister Jude. Um, so he's walked off while in the meantime, Eunice goes over to Grace and says, uh, you're still getting sterilized, basically. <laughs> Sucks. <laughs> and so she leaves and Grace, like, is freaking out in her cell. Um... And we kind of see this scene of her just kind of banging on walls and crying to herself and all this kind of sort of stuff. We we kind of assume a lot of time's passing. Dawn is maybe starting to come up and everything. It's getting close to the time where she's supposed to be sterilized. When all of a sudden there's like this kind of, the room kind of starts vibrating or shaking, and there's like this like really bright white light coming from underneath the door and through the you know little peephole and stuff like that. And we just get the this zoom in on Grace's eye as we assume that like the door is opening or something like that. You just know it's these aliens coming back, right? Yeah, like as soon I as mean, the light starts coming through, I think all of us are like, "Oh boy, here we go! Here come the aliens!" It's been a minute. Welcome back. And we don't really understand jack shit about these aliens so far. What their motivations are? Why no they come idea. back at these <laughs> random moments? Why they keep coming back to the same cell block in this random asylum? Um, whether or not we'll ever learn their motivations, it's yet to be seen, but, uh, they're still showing up. So right. it'll be interesting. I love that zoom um, into the eyeball though. That was great. That was a really interesting trick. And we went to commercial there and came back with another really well shot part where we're back in the common room. We have that terrible, creepy music playing still. And we have this shot of these patients each, you know, f- tweaking or whatever, taking their medicine and, and, you know, close-ups on the medicine and popping it back. You see their head pop back. Ugh. I thought that was super well shot, too. Right. It was just... Right. It was great. And re- I, I, uh, I, I look, uh, the director for this episode is Alfonso Gomez Rejon. And he is, I guess, one of uh, um, uh, Ryan Murphy's buddies that directs a lot of the Glee episodes. But clearly this guy's got a great future ahead of him because... This sequence of of the common room area, and then also the sequence we're probably going to talk about in a couple minutes of Threadson and Lana trying to bust out of there is just beautifully shot. Beautifully shot. But this, yeah, definitely love this opening part where everyone's kicking back pills, really puts you in the common room with them. You kind of see Lana, who since last episode where she had this really terrifying conversion therapy thing go on, Seems spent, really. I mean, even though Threadson has told her that he's going to save her, she just seems so much more depleted than we've seen her. You know, she had a lot of vigor at the beginning. And it's just her spirits have clearly declined, especially since she she learned that, you know, her girlfriend Wendy went missing. Right. 
But in this scene, Lana is in the common room and Threadson approaches her and says that, you know, we're leaving tonight. I'm finally going to save you. And so this is kind of her one. She she sees kind of a, a light at the end of the tunnel a little bit. And so they're going to plan and, and and leave soon. Excuse me. And we kind of go from here to uh, we kind of follow Threadson. It's the cider and uh, <laughs> bourbon, man. <laughs> uh, it's just kidding. Okay, continue. Please, please excuse me, listeners. <laughs> um, I don't think they care. <laughs> we're we're following Threadson to he's going to go talk to Kit, and we get these interesting like even this is shot cool because it's like all these camera shots from like low angles for some reason. Yeah, I mean, cut together really Lot, really well. But yeah, he, lots of tight shots on like the suitcases, and then we pull out for like a wider shot, and then we like you said we go and we have a, a tilted up angle. It was pretty cool. Very cool. It it was, and he comes in, and Kit's sitting at the desk, and um, you know, Kit asks Threadson for you know help saving Grace from sterilization, and Threadson pretty much says that he can't, you know, she's not his patient, he can't help, but maybe if you know if Kit continues to cooperate, he'll do what he can. So he says, "Here's what I need you to do to keep you out of the electric chair and to keep you in Briarcliff, is I want to, I need you to basically come to terms with these memories of what happened." So he pulls out this recorder. That's what the briefcase is, yep. we find out. It's like this recording device. And he tells Kit that he needs to um, recite exactly what happened that night. And he wants to play it back for him so it can try to trigger memories. This scene all seemed very suspicious, too. This, I don't know this, how you Yeah, this, this is when we start going, hmm, all right, okay, I still believe you, though, uh, Threadson. Because you seem to be very level-headed and uh, the voice of the progressive... Uh, uh, medicine uh, um, group. <laughs> That's right. I mean, up until word. tonight, we we had called Threadson the voice of the viewer. You know, the the voice of the viewers, pretty much. The voice of the viewers and, and so, the voice of the writers, where they get to actually go in and say, "Yeah, we're writing all this stuff," and here's our voice that says, "Yeah, this is pretty ridiculous." Exactly, and so what a mind bend it ends up being, as we'll soon discuss. But uh, so Kit talks into the tape. He says, I murdered my wife. He's he's kind of come to terms with it or at least thinks he has because he doesn't remember it. But everyone else is telling him that. So he's kind of being compelled to it. Um, as soon as he says that, though, we get this interesting flash to the alien spaceship where Grace is on a surgery table, strapped down, screaming. She seems to be like slimy with some sort of nasty stuff. And who's there but Alma? Kit's wife, who we supposedly thought was skinned and beheaded. Right. And she seems to be pregnant with, like, an alien baby. And she's comforting Grace as something slices Grace's abdomen open with a a scalpel. So all very bizarre. Um, Alien baby stuff. Very alien. Yeah. I mean... (laughs) Well, we see see her tummy get sliced open at one point, right? Yes, we do. That's, like, how the scene ends, is you see the blood slowly dripping down and stuff, you know? Speaking of which, this episode also very gruesome. As I mean, yeah, it's pretty gross. Uh, but so we 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 kind of know that Alma is alive. Or another possibility is: is this some sort of crazy Grace fantasy that she's actually being sterilized, and this is what's going on in her mind? So it's hard to say. Although I mean, we did have Sister Jude see what appeared to be an alien. And we saw that thing crawl out of Kit's neck. But the thing with this whole show is, like, we don't know what's in people's minds. Right? And what's, what's real? real. Exactly. And so that's that's clearly been a continued theme. Um, in the meantime, you know, 
Jude is basically just, you know, her world has crashed because now she knows that Anne Frank isn't really Anne Frank. So she's calling um, the fixer and saying that he doesn't, she doesn't want him to come anymore because she doesn't even know if Arden is really a bad guy. Speaking of which, Arden shows up stumbling in with his cane because he was shot in the leg um, and accuses Jude of sneaking around his lab and peeking at his stuff, hmm. which he did. And uh, he says he's going to press charges. But not against Anne Frank, but against Jude for basically letting Anne Frank leave the premises as a dangerous criminal. So Jude tries to reason with him, but he says he's basically going to get her out of there. Wait, is this the point where when Jude calls for threats in? It's like, bring threats in. in. Um, I think, this, yeah, it's right about when she's she's calling for threats in to like defend her. Which is interesting that she's she's asking for threats That's, in at this point. Jude has a heart in this situation. We don't know if it's... I mean, obviously we would assume it was mostly based on her desire to take down uh, Arden. But, you know, it could be because she, maybe she's, she cares about Anne Frank. I don't know. <laughs> Probably not, but I want I want to like Jude. I want to like Jude. I do, too. I think she. I think she does care about Anne Frank. I think she has... I think she's come to have more feelings than we realize, yeah. you know. And obviously, this thing with that girl that she hit with the car so many years ago is continuing to haunt her. Right, you know? she is. She has definitely ha- had a tumultuous life, for sure. And we'll talk. I mean, she reveals a lot in this episode. We get so much back. We're getting so much background on Jude so fast. Yeah. Uh, but in the meantime, Arden returns to his lab and strips down to. He takes his pants off. He's going to start dressing his bullet wound when demon possessed Eunice enters. Yeah, she's fun. Um, I like Demon Possessed Eunice. She says she's going to help him, and she apologizes for her uh, forwardness during the storm a couple weeks ago. You'll remember that she pretty much threw herself at him and wanted him to jump on that, which she did not. Which which he did not because he's in. He's got like a purity fetish, as we've discussed before, and was mm-hmm. not quite into this uh, demoness wild. Um, Where do you think? Okay, Eunice, but, before we move further, how do you think her character is developing? We haven't really had a moment to talk about Eunice and uh, her 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 narrative arc, really. Well, I definitely think that this Eunice is far more interesting than the yeah. Eunice we started with. Than the bumbling kind of idiot, <laughs> infantile, naive, and now we have a Eunice that's pretty much a wild card. And for all, I mean, it kind of seems like she's the one who's setting up all this crazy shit that's going on all over the asylum. Yeah, she, she. Yeah, I love it. She's she's like our puppet master, you know, it, like in the Saw movies. Yeah, <laughs> she's like yep. setting everybody up, you know. So you really don't know. She's an X factor. You don't know what she's going to do next, which I think is com- pretty compelling. I like that you say that. Like, yeah, like our storylines, a lot of them are based on either being serial killer or. Um, the Raspers or the, um, the, um, uh, God, what was the other one? Uh, the, the, the demon possessions, but she, like you said, she is the wild card. Cause even though she is demon possessed and she's part of that storyline, she's going to go around and set up all these little things that are just going to trip, uh, all these little story traps that are going to trip everyone up and force them to make choices and decisions. Exactly. And since she's a demon, they can make her omniscient. Yeah. So she knows about the Nazi shit. She knows, she, I'm sure she knows Threadson's bloody face. Like, she knows all this stuff's going on. It's right. So, I love it. <laughs> it's kind of a, it's almost like a cheap trick by the writers, but I love it. Yeah. I love yeah. that she's able to go and just interfere everywhere. Someone, yeah, exactly. Someone's in there meddling and screwing up everyone's plans. I love that. Yeah. And so she kneels down in front of Threads, or in front of, sorry, Arden in a very suggestive way. Very suggestive. To, 
to to uh, you know dress his wound and is snipping the the wound of his leg, and it, and you know he says thank you for protecting us. Right. And so this is when we find out that it was Eunice who pulled Shelley out of the you know closet where Arden had had him and basically got it away before you know he was found out. And so you know Eunice says no, I was protecting us. Um. And so Arden pretty much promises Eunice, or Eunice Jude's job when Jude leaves. Right. Which She's, is yeah, he needs his right hand woman. So we think Eunice is going to stumble into even more power here. Maybe I can't wait to see when Eunice eventually goes up against Jude because there's that there's that mutiny is going to happen at some point. Definitely. Oh, it's I'm, it's got to be we got to be on the brink of it. But um, we we see in the next scene where Eunice dumped Shelley. <laughs> it's. it's it's this crazy scene where we're in a schoolyard. These kids are running around. They go over to get a drinking fountain. And you hear, like, this moaning and this, like, gasping noise. One girl goes over to the stairs and screams. And there's Shelly at the bottom of the stairs, slowly dragging herself up, covered in boils. Uh, she could, There's a girl goes screaming and calls the teacher over. And the whole class runs over and screams at this monster. And I think we both had a number of questions about this scene for instance why the hell did eunice dump her down a stairwell in a school right 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 why okay i understand putting her at a well actually i don't understand her putting her at a school unless like you said before that it might be because you know that, that she'll be noticed there but a why did we want her to be noticed like that's just going to draw attention to uh the the um briarcliff but number two exactly. why put her at the bottom of the stairs and number three, how long ago? How long had she been waiting down there before she decided to climb up? Like it, it was so perfectly planned during recess <laughs> that she would climb out of the stairwell. <laughs> yeah, on her she's little been, stubby legs. She's just been waiting down there. Yeah, but yeah, why? Why did Eunice decide to dump her down there? I mean, if she's trying to protect Arden, why would she not put him in? Put her in a forest or somewhere, you know, put her in the forest with all the other ones. Right. Instead of put her in a public place. So it kind of makes you wonder what Eunice's motives are. Like we said, X-Factor here. She's um, stirring she the pot. To get... She is stirring the pot in that place. Is she trying to get Arden found out? And we've got to figure that Eunice dragged Shelly a hell of a long way. So gross. Because you but know also, that there's not a school. Bad. I mean, she's just a paraplegic. Like, what, do you really have to treat <laughs> her like that? Well, Arden seriously. Arden good. does, yeah. And so, well, at this point, she was too far gone anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm, man, I'm, bizarre. I also, I don't, I don't know. I might be wrong. I, I don't think I, it didn't seem like she's made her full transition to Rasper. But then again, we haven't really seen a Rasper. We've kind of seen them like run by real quick. But you know, what do they do? Are they zombies? Do they eat people? Do they like what's the, what? What do they do? They, well, they well they clearly eat flesh because that's what they were feeding. Right. Them I before. mean, live people, not uh, body parts. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good point. So is she going to start eating the children? <laughs> I mean, <what's... laughs> oh, I hope so. <laughs> Maybe that's our next. That, episode. We, let's write the next episode, Tyler. <laughs> the Rasper but, uh, Shelley eats the school children. Oh, that's got to be coming. Oh, I hope. So is that the last we've seen of Shelley? Who knows? We'll see. Um, she is a guest. Meantime, act- she is a guest actress, so it, it very well may be because she's a guest. She's not getting the full season. Oh no, we predicted her demise quite a while. Ago. Right. Um, in the meantime, Jude is uh, back at Briarcliff. Well, Anne Frank is back. Yeah, her husband has brought her back, and it turns out that when he brought her back to the house, surprise, she's still crazy, <laughs> and she she tried to uh, did we determine suffocate the baby with a pillow? Yes, which we got the flashback with that, and yeah, she tried to pull a one flew over the cuckoo's nest outside of the cuckoo's nest. 
That's right. That's right. She was trying to Nick Murphy the baby. <laughs> and um, so the husband takes her and brings her back. Well, surprise, husband. Your wife is still crazy. I don't know why he was so gung-ho to bring her back home in the first place. He does say that she was not crazy violent before. Right. That this is a new turn. But still, if he went to all that trouble to try to get her to come back and was searching for her forever, you think that he would do more than just, you know, drop her right back off. Right. I don't know. Is – um. I don't know if you wanted to bring this up now or not. We can bring that up later. But the music choice that they use for all these flashbacks um, of uh, Charlotte slash Anne Frank, you know, back at home is very uh, Twilight Zone-ish. It's the... Oh, it was brilliant. I loved it. It is. The music is very, Which is very very 50s. uh, Tense. And 40s, which is when Anne Frank um, obviously was in the internment camp, but also in the 60s where they are now, Twilight Zone was big absolutely and so let's let's follow Anne's narrative here to the end real quick because it's not there's not that much left um so what ends up happening is you know Anne Frank is confined to a cell while sister Jude is talking to the husband and everything while Arden sneaks into Anne Frank's cell to confront her and we see them kind of you know she's strapped down and he's I don't know what he's doing there, but he's there to threaten her clearly. Um, and then we see this scene that the husband is approaching the, the cell as Arden is, is emerging. And the husband apologizes to Arden for his wife shooting Arden in the leg. And Arden basically says that um, he has a humane remedy to Anne Frank's problem. And in the background, you can hear Anne screaming, which is blood curling, <laughs> curdling, to say the least. Um, so the husband says he's going to take him take him up on it. We see this scene where Arden is preparing to perform surgery as um, the husband watches down in one of those creepy surgery theaters that, I don't know, seem to be a, a prime place for, for horror movies. Right. It reminded me of like, uh, I don't know, if you've ever seen Grey's Anatomy, there's the, the gallery where you can watch surgeries happen. But this one doesn't have like... <laughs> It, it's so morbid. It looks like the scene of a um, of one of the um, hostile movies or something. It looks like a freaking dungeon, yeah. and you have a lot of stone. The lights are dim, and then Arden takes what looks like an ice pick or something like that. Oh god, this was so and bad. Starts chiseling into Anne. First, he knocks her out with some but, anesthesia, or something. right? But it, when as he's pulling the chisel she, he he covers one of her eyes with gauze so we know that mm-hmm. he's either going up the nose which they've done in movies and stuff or in the eyeball and he just i mean the tension that they build as he slowly gets closer and closer and i forget but they're they're cutting back and forth between another scene i think we'll, we'll talk about this but it's jude having a problem yeah. with this um and you're like oh my god is she gonna stop it what's gonna happen i can't believe they're doing this to Anne frank and then boom Oh, yeah. I mean, and he starts chiseling, and you see the bone yeah. chips go flying. It's like, tap, it is tap, gruesome. Tap, tap, tap. Oh, God. Oh, but such attention to detail. you got to admire that in the filming. But gross, nonetheless. Yeah, that was pretty gnarly. I, I actually kind of looked away because I was like, ah. I was like squinting my eye like I could like flex it and close it so tight that it would help her. I often it do definitely makes movies. you cringe. Makes you cringe, for sure. Um, and so there was one last scene with Anne, but we'll follow that up at the very end, because it's kind of like the one of the big reveals that happens here at the end. Um, God, this episode in the meantime, In the meantime, you have Thredson uh, has found Lana under the stairs, has given her... He, she says, how are we going to get out of here? He says, he gives her a box to carry, and says, just follow my lead, pretty much. So she's just going to be like... We're just going to walk out, first. right? 
Got to help just carry stuff to the car. So they head out, and in the meantime, I mean, well, you describe the scene. Well, they're they're walking out, and uh, we we get a glimpse uh, or a shot uh, ahead of ahead of where they're at, which is a security guard. And I forget if there were monitors there or not, because I forget if the sixties had that. But <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, there's a guy there, and he's sitting there with his cigarette, trying to light light his uh, cigarette. The orderly is that that monitors the gate, and he's 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 uh, he's flicking it, he's flicking it. It's not lighting, it's not lighting. And then we're cutting back to to Threadson and Lana, who's like scared, kind of walking as fast as she can, and and the tension is built so oh, well here because you're like, great. you know, as soon as he lights that cigarette, he's gonna look up, right? Yeah, but and you don't want to light the cigarette. You want him to keep looking down. But also the way it's shot. I mean, we're zooming. We have we have a tight shot on uh, Threadson's uh, briefcase or his suitcase or whatever, and then we have an angle looking up uh, a full body shot of him, but from the floor up. And then we have a wider shot, and then we go back to the orderly that's lighting a cigarette. And just as they're about to get there, we don't see Threadson approach it, but all of a sudden you see a hand come in with a lighter to light his cigarette. And as he's helping the orderly light the cigarette. Lana walks right on by and and gets out. We're like, phew! Very smooth, uh, very smooth. Threadson, very smooth. very smooth, and uh, and that the tension they built in that you know probably like fifteen second sequence was awesome. Yeah, we did not know. I mean, yeah, that was great tension because we, we want her out. Car. We want her to get out. Yeah, we think she's going to go reveal all that's happening in Briarcliff. They get to the car. Another yeah, ten, gets in the tension-filled seat. sequence, too, there. Lana gets in the pa- passenger seat. Um, Threadson's loading the trunk when Frank, the security guard, shows up. Right. And he says to Threadson, Sister Jude wants you. you got to come back You know, come back in and help. And Threadson basically says, I never worked yeah, here. Tell I'm her done. I never worked here. Peace. Yeah. And this is kind but of that a side to Threadson we hadn't really seen before. It was weird. Yeah. It was definitely kind of... You're thinking at this point, you know, Threadson is seeming a little curious this this episode. Yeah, I, I still, I, but most of my concern was still with Lana sitting in the front seat, uh, and the and the trunk was up. So and and the, the Threadson and um, Frank were in the behind the trunk. So I didn't want him to close the trunk because I didn't want him to see uh, Lana's head in, Lana. in in the front. But they did close it, and it was fine because he still couldn't see in the orderly or whatever he was. Just like, all right, cool, later. Exactly. And so they basically they make it out. So we it was kind of a relief because up until now we've seen all these failed escape attempts and that was becoming a little bit redundant. It was getting really redundant, really boring. Yeah, so I'm glad we finally saw an actual escape happen. We have someone leaving the Briarcliff campus. You know? One of the two people we really want to get out, which is either Lana or Kit. Exactly. Um so cut back to Jude and this is a very telling, I mean, very interesting scene with Jude. Amazingly This is kind of too. Uh, yeah, like we're peering into her, her soul at this point. Um, Jude is praying, and, and Frank approaches and says, "You know, Lana's missing." And Jude kind of collapses on the bed and says to Frank, uh, "You know, she gives him this this story about being a lonely child, how her father left when she was very young, and how her mother was pretty much had to work all the time and was an alcoholic, and how she was always very lonely." And so when she was young, she found this pet squirrel somehow that she brought into the house, and it was her pet and her friend. And one day she noticed that it was not moving. Basically, it died because she forgot to feed it. Um, And she was so distraught about this dead squirrel, and she was praying for it to come back to life, praying for it to come back to life. Obviously, nothing happened. Her mother comes home and sees the dead squirrel and throws it in the garbage. 
And Jude is so upset about it and says to her mother that, you know, I was praying for it to come back to life and God didn't answer my prayers. And the mother laughs in Jude's face and says, God always answers prayers, rarely the answer, but it's rarely the answer we're looking for. Which, uh, Paul, I believe you're the writer who put this in. This might be the first acknowledgement of God um, actually at least existing in this world. Exactly. And this really got us both thinking, I think, about, you know, is it that God is not present at Briarcliff? Or is it that we just don't know what kind of God is present? Because, I mean, in a lot of Holocaust literature and stuff like that, which is interesting with the whole High and Frank thing, is during the Holocaust, there's this big dilemma about, you know, if God is good, why are we in this terrible situation? Um, I mean, if God is all-powerful, he could stop this. If God is omniscient, then he would have—I mean, what is, what is God's power? I mean, how much do, is he able to do? How much does he know? What is the role of God? And so it's really—I mean, Jews definitely bringing that to the surface here, and clearly it's an issue here at Briarcliff. is like, why is there so much terrible in the world if there is a God? Right. And so even Jude is kind of questioning religion at this point. Right. And Jessica Lang is bringing it in this part of the— um of the episode oh yeah she's brilliant the trembling voice i mean the tight shot everything. they do of just her face i mean it she just conveys so much emotion i told you earlier but i wrote down emmy actually i wrote, I wrote exactly. down emmy <laughs> repeat i think yeah. it's got to be so good um but at the end of the sequence frank basically compliments jude's strength in, in basically um you know all she's done to Briarcliff Manor. But at this point, we're kind of thinking Jude has given up on religion. Well, or she's, she's had some sort of revelation. She, at the end of this, of that whole sequence, she says, my goose is cooked. That is what she says. That is what she says. And so we see her dressing in normal clothes. And then, I mean, what happens next? She goes out and has a night on the town and sleeps with some rando. Exactly. She's in a bar. And I don't think either of us remembers whether or not she was actually drinking in the bar. If she, But, I mean, we know that she's been back drinking again, so it's only assumed. Right, right. Um, she's smoking cigarettes. She's wearing red lipstick, which red has kind of been the color of sin so far, especially for her. Right, which makes sense because she has been hiding shoes. her sin under her uh, robes. So she has shed her robes very literally. Right. Um, and the sin has prevailed, so it seems. At least, so at what, least for the, the night. <laughs> What the future of Jude is is going to be interesting to see. One theory is that potentially now that she shed the robe, maybe it's like she'll be able – I mean it was holding her back. Let's be honest. It was the patriarchy of the Catholic Church holding her back. So maybe now she'll be able to give in to these demons and maybe it will give her more strength. She'll get her Angelina Jolie on and become a badass. It'll be interesting to see because we know this showdown between Jude and Eunice and Arden is going to be coming. Um, you know, because you know Jude's not written off. No way. No she's way. the primary character. Yeah, she's the star. And so that's kind of the end of Jude's narrative in this particular episode. Um, Hats off to talk... you, Jessica Lang, and the writers for this episode, oh. and, and Alfonso for this director. And the director, for sure. You guys killed it. Anyway. But I know where we're going now, and I'm really excited because it was crazy. The The scene, I mean... Of of this episode, the major twist, beautifully done. We're at Threadson's apartment. He opens the door. Him and Lana enter. Lana says, "Well, I thought I was going to go back home," and he says, "Oh no, no, you know the police. That's the first place they're going to look for you. You're much safer here. We'll call the police tomorrow." Creep alert one, flag flag number one. 
So he says, do you want some, some wine to be relaxed? First, he says something about medication. So it's like, but he, he's like, he means wine, something to calm her down. And she's thinking he means medication. At this point, we're, I mean, uh, we're very much getting suspicious of threats and very quickly here. His behavior is just bizarre. Right. He wants to give her medicine and she's like, I think she says something like, no, like maybe she wanted wine or she wanted a drink or something. Or maybe he offers a drink and she'd be like, that would be amazing. Uh, yeah, I got the impression that he was like joking with her that like he was going to give her medication, but the medication was wine or something like something to calm her down. Right. And so he goes into the other room and Lana kind of rushes over to this rotary phone and starts to call a friend. And as it's ringing, oop, finger juts in and hits the receiver. So that way it hangs up. Flag number two. <laughs> Arden says, oh, no, no, you can't call anybody. No one can know you're here. And so, yes, flag number two. Um he takes the wine and they walk back over to the couch and uh, he gets the glass of wine and they're just kind of sitting there and he, he turns on a lamp. Uh, lampshade is quite interesting. I feel like there looking. was like a bloodstain on it or something or it just looked yeah. really like a hide. Strange. This lamp looks like a piece of human skin. Flags four and five. <laughs> <laughs> he offers her a mint in what appears to be a human, a chunk of human skull. Ugh, yep, that's what it was, I'm pretty sure. In a, a mint cup of... A mint cup made out of a human skull. Gross. And she declines, but he eats one. But clearly Lana knows what's going and on. He and he pops it in super creepy. Exactly. And so he, he's telling her how... Yeah, oh yeah. And he says something about how, you know, tomorrow she'll be able to go free and she'll be able to tell his story which is something we yeah I mean, we had tell, thought yeah he says like uh like i'll let you free tomorrow and she's like oh something like that and he says so you can tell my story and so we had thought this time he was kind of being yeah we thought that he was doing something good for lana but now it's like he has some selfish motivations we don't know what's going on a little bit um so she says can i go to the bathroom and he kind of says oh sure she goes into the hall she starts trying to open doors they're all locked God. except for like seven eight nine and ten Except for one, which looks like a tool shop. Interesting tool shop, though. There's a human rib cage hanging on the wall. There's all sorts of bone saws and shit hanging from this. The, Lots know, of creepy shelving. tools. This is another a very um, um, uh, hostile uh, room here. Pick, pick your weapon of choice, basically. Exactly. And then now it's like, it's pretty much hit her for sure. Like, holy shit, this guy is some sort of crazy killer. And, of course, he appears in the doorway. And she tries to brush it off and be like, oh, are you a carpenter? (laughs) Yeah, are you a carpenter? (laughs) (laughs) And then he says, well, you know, I I make lamps, mostly just lamps. And bam, he presses a button and a secret trap door opens beneath him and boom. She is down through the trap door. I loved that. That was, I am a sucker for a trap door. I thought that was awesome. So she's laying on this like tile. It's like an all concrete hidden basement. Very reminiscent of the girl with the dragon tattoo movies. The scenes, you know, where this guy has this secret room where he hangs people from the ceiling and keeps them in cage, like women in cages and stuff. Totally reminiscent of that. Absolutely. That that's exactly what went came to my mind too. So she's been chained to the floor down there. Apparently she passed out or something and threads and chained her to the wall. Well there's another corpse there's there's a body down there next to her. 
and Lana's thinking to herself, is that is that Wendy? You know, her girlfriend. She goes over, turns the body over. Well, it is Wendy, but it is Wendy long dead. Long dead and apparently just fresh out of the freezer. <laughs> fresh out of the freezer, she appears to be uh, de-thawing at the moment. <laughs> um, so Lana screams and jumps over to the side just as Threatson shows up. He is wearing a terrifying black trench coat robe thing. It looks kind of like a choir robe. I'm not really sure what he's wearing. Is it a jacket? You know, I didn't really, I, I didn't know. pay attention to that, to that that much. So I'll go back and look though for sure. <laughs> and he tells her that you know he was keeping Wendy fresh for her, and then he says this creepy thing about how they're going to continue her therapy, and that he wants her to start kissing Wendy's corpse. So weird. Ah. And then he pulls it out. The bloody face mask. His weenie. The horrible, nasty, bloody face. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Not yet. Maybe that's next episode. <laughs> he pulls out the bloody face mask and puts it on. And he points to one of the teeth in it and says, oh, I got this one from Wendy. And Lana just screams. Yeah. And now we know for sure Threadson all along has been bloody yeah. face. So Crazy twist. Thought, I know some people expected this- it. I did not. I did not either. I thought Threadson was the voice of reason. I, know, I, I thought he was going to be, gonna be best, our normal yeah. character. And, you know, this is just a random thought, by the way. With that mask and the robe, he kind of looks like Darth Maul <laughs> Star Wars The Phantom Menace, you know? That is a good one. Uh, I, I do want to mention that Lana, uh, Sarah Paulson, masterfully acting this whole sequence as well. She was great. She looked scared as hell. And she did look scared as hell. She, she was conveying what we were feeling. As she well should have been. All appropriate reactions, and you got to feel bad for her. Um, so that kind of ends our sequence with Lana with the big reveal that Threadson is bloody face. Right. And we kind of have another moment. We're back in the common room. Grace is in a chair, blood pretty much gushing from between her legs. Kit sees her and rushes over to her and basically thinks that they went through with the sterilization, right? Right. And so he's kind of asking what happened to her when all of a sudden these detectives burst in and grab Kit. And he says, what's going on here? And the detectives say, we have a recorded confession of you, courtesy of Thread- Dr. Threadson. Well, seems like Threadson was not exactly doing his doctorly duty. In fact, he was recording a confession to set Kit up and basically lead them off of his trail. So that way they would be- imprison and kill who they thought to be the real bloody right, face. He found his scapegoat. He certainly did. And so, Kit is drug away as Grace yells at him, I saw Alma, she's still alive, I saw, basically, I saw the aliens, I believe you. Right, you know? right, yeah. So, I'm hoping that this basically kicks off a Jude and Kit team up, kick-ass, uh, taking names, uh, two-episode arc. That would be nice, and maybe Lana saved, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I think Lana's going to be down in that basement for at least another two apps, mm-hmm. for sure. I think I think you're probably right. He's probably he's probably going to leave her there for a while just to let this play out for a right. bit. You know, I'm curious. I bet he's going to go after Grace eventually, too. But then, when, what are the aliens going to do? Oh my gosh, when are they going to come back? There's so many questions. And the, ras- and the, and raspers. the raspers. I want more. And raspers. Demon Eunice. And and Arden, which is what we will end on. Right. A, it, it's a scene that is shot in that weird creep, you know, kind of 1950s, 60s-esque home video, technicolor so home video. Yep, yep. And it is Anne Frank's husband arriving home, uh, walking into the living room where we see Anne Frank with her back to us. She's bouncing a baby 
on her shoulder like a good mother. Also, let's just go ahead and say that was a quick turnaround for the husband to, you know, to trust Arden's work to the point that he thought that he could leave the baby at home alone with Anne Frank. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a lot of trust there. Dear Kitty, today she... I tried to kill my baby. <laughs> <laughs> but she's bouncing this baby, and she finally turns around, and we see that it is Anne Frank, and she is completely normal. And so we got to wonder what the hell Arden did to her. If it was a lobotomy, wouldn't she be a vegetable right now? Dear Kitty, today I did the dishes for my husband. <laughs> Love, <laughs> Anne. Sorry. <laughs> I have a lot of kitty jokes. Yeah, her diary would be a lot more boring. It would be so boring. But apparently, somehow, Arden made her a good, ha- like a step Right, I've never seen a lobotomy that, that has done that before. So maybe he's got some super cool advanced medicine for that era. His crazy Nazi side. Yeah. <laughs> let's just go ahead and, and lead into our next uh, reveal, which is... There is only a few of the Nazi photos left on the wall from where Anne had her big, you know, collage of Nazi news clippings. And we slowly zoom in on one. It appears to be Hitler giving a speech. And who do we see standing behind Hitler? Well, it appears to be a young Dr. Threnson. So, it was not in Anne Frank's mind. He is, in fact, SS, which we kind of knew already. Right. right. I mean, it, it was pretty much clear that it was happening. Um, but it's that young version that looks exactly like... James Cromwell. Because. Which, I'd like to point out, I had a friend send me an article in which we find out that, in fact, that is John Cromwell, James Cromwell's son, which explains why they look so similar. Because Spot otherwise, on. that was eerily creepy how similar they looked. Um, but he is standing behind Hitler, so we know that, in fact, he is SS. So, holy shit with the reveal. Oh, and let's not talk about the creepy music playing of this part. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was crazy. Which totally lent, lent the mood there. I tried to download but, it. I couldn't find it, but it was, yeah, Pete Seeger. But that, yeah, that was, oh, they, they're, they're so on point with their music on this show. It's great. So immense major reveals throughout this whole episode between Threads and his bloody face, Arden for sure is an SS, and Frank is now normal, Shelly is in a schoolyard. What the hell is Jude's I mean, Grace has seen aliens. Go, reverting back to her old ways. So much races abducted episode. by the aliens. There was so much happening. I loved it. It was nuts. So, I mean, man, go ahead. Comparatively, what would you grade this episode? All right, well, I, I felt like I had been a little harsh on the previous episodes, but this one I have no qualms about giving uh, this episode because of its narrative, because it moved the storyline along so well, but a lot of the character choices still made sense. That I give this four point five Rubbermen out of five Rubbermen. What about you, Tyler? I, I think that is a very deserved rating, and I am going to do the same and give it four point five. And m- personally, my justification is the only reason I'm not giving it five is because I would like. I mean, it's been this was a great episode. I only want to see it get better. Yeah, you, you know? know, there's room for more. And perfection is a five out of five. And I, you know, I rarely give that. <laughs> this is pretty damn exactly. close, though. That's right. So that's going to be a 9 out of 10 Rubbermen, our best rating of the season so far. What a great episode. Could have been a standalone Um, movie almost. I I thought it was great. So much happening. So much great cinematography. So much great music. It was We were vested in the characters. A lot of the reveals (laughs) felt like they were really earned. Like the payoff was really earned. It really was. And we're getting to know these characters so well, so fast, which is impressive because I thought that we it would be difficult to do with this many characters. And it, we are on episode five, and we're already here. This is crazy. I know. We're not even halfway yet. I mean, just just insane. I don't know where they're um, going to go. 
So quick preview of next week's episode. We saw the promo. Um, Eunice is talking to a little girl and tells the little girl that she's a devil. <laughs> um, yes. Apparently there's some showdown between Jude versus Arden and the Monsignor. So you know that Jude is back and that the Monsignor, for some reason, is is on Arden's side. You wonder what their relationship is. I want to learn more about that. And you see Threads and Atlanta having some crazy discussions in the basement. Um, we got to wonder if we're going to learn a little bit about kind of uh, why Threadson is uh, is um, uh, bloody face, which I'm sure we will. Another thing I would like to mention, though, is back in the Exorcism episode, we saw the demon say something to Threadson right. about like I can something about like seeing who he really was, and that I think was foreshadowing of him being bloody face. I would like to go back and watch that and see what that demon said because I think at the time we really didn't understand because we didn't have any backstory on Threadson. But I think it was insight onto him being bloody face. I think you're right. That and when you mentioned that, that I forgot about that, but that that would make sense. Yeah. So with that, I mean, great, great episode. I only expect more great stuff to come. Love it. Um, as always, you can visit our our website for all our episodes. That's at uh, thisamericanhorrorstory dot com. You can like us on Facebook at This American Horror Story Podcast. Um, you can download us on iTunes where of course we encourage you to please leave us reviews, give us good, give us whatever rating you want, but we just appreciate the feedback. It means a lot to us. Um, always nice to know what more we could do to, to make the show better. And, um, you can always send your emails and quote with questions or comments to this American horror story at gmail.com. Uh, Chris, uh, where can people be? You guys can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Chris, you said it's Chris with a K. So K R I S H U S T E D. And I am on Twitter as well at TJ Moss 11. And I'm going to say this again, because I said it last time I did work, but I really think you guys should check out Tyler's article on the Huffington post right now about driving some ex cons to, uh, vote on election day. It's really great story. Thanks. That was that was a crazy experience, but interesting story. So yeah, I appreciate the the shout out, man. <laughs> um, but uh, we look forward to seeing you guys next week. And um, next week we might, depending on Thanksgiving, it might come an extra day late, just because I'm going to be flying uh, back home. So, uh, but hang in there because we are gonna we'll have that podcast up uh, probably um, just maybe a, a day behind. We'll figure it out. We'll definitely figure it out and we'll be there. Check out our Facebook. Have a great Thanksgiving. Info there. Absolutely. But um, until then, listeners, uh, happy hauntings. Bye. Dominique, nique, nique, s'en allait tout simplement. Routier, pauvre et chantant. En tout chemin, en tout lieu, il ne parle que du bon Dieu. Il ne parle que.